right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Yo, what's happening? Welcome to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. You know what that means. Nick Chuck Sports Talk, baby. That's right. We are here. Derek has no passion, no dedication, no commitment. No, just kidding. Derek's great. But he is out today. I'll be taking you solo. And he'll be out on Monday as well. We got kind of a, a little bit of a hybrid show on Monday. I'll, get, I'll talk about that a little bit later. For today's show, we are also out a little bit early for coverage of high school basketball coming up at 5.30. It'll be Free State taking on Olathe West. Girls and boys, Sam Speck and Craig Kershizer will be on the call for those games coming up at 5.30. So because of that, today's show, Rock Talk Sports Talk, will be done a little bit before 5.30. So a little bit of a shorter show today on uh, Nick Chalk Sports Talk. Got to, we'll talk about KU and Iowa State coming up here in just a few moments. Also later on in the show at 3.40, John Kirby of JayhawksLantonRivals.com will join the show to talk about KU wrapping up this uh, 2023 football recruiting class. And also, they got a big commitment that Derek and I talked about from Isaiah Marshall. We'll talk to John about that. And that's coming up at 3.40. In the 4 o'clock hour, sports stock market, some Big 12 discussion, and also got a chance to hear from Bill Self ahead of the Iowa State game tomorrow. I'll have that audio for you in the 4 o'clock hour. And that's right, Iowa State and Kansas matching up for the second time this season coming up tomorrow at 11 a.m., Pre-game coverage will begin at 9.30 in the morning. So an early one, grab your coffee, grab your donuts, grab your cinnamon rolls, whatever your desired breakfast uh, choice is on a Saturday morning. Grab it. Tune in to KLWN, 9.30 for the Crimson and Blue Show. Tip-off for Kansas and Iowa State at 11. Kansas comes into this matchup at 6-3. and three. Iowa State also at 6-3 and three in the Big 12. So this game certainly has some implications for the rest of the Big 12 race. And for Kansas, they have Texas at home on Monday, immediately after this game against Iowa State. So these next two games, uh, as Bill Self actually will play that, I'll play that audio for you later in the show. He made a reference, almost uh, a golf reference, which is, you might not be able to win the conference or win in golf in the tournament, uh, whatever you're playing at in the second round, but you can definitely lose. And this is an example of that for Kansas. They won't win the conference if they win these next two games against Iowa State and Texas, but they could lose it if they lose these next two games. But I think overall you have to feel pretty good about Kansas' chances. They're, they're, they look pretty good in their last two games. After the three-game slid, they've, they've bounced back. Big win against Kentucky. Cruised against Kansas State for the most part. But the first time they played Iowa State just three weeks ago, it was a very tight matchup. 62-60 to 60 was the final score. Iowa State had a shot at a last-second three to win the game and missed it. So this is still going to be a very tough matchup for Kansas going into Ames where typically it's a pretty raucous environment. Now, I don't know if an 11 a.m. tip-off will affect that as, that that much, but uh, I guess we'll have to see. But Iowa State fans normally turn up regardless. 
And in that first game, 62-60, to 60, as I said, Kansas really was carried by Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, and K.J. Adams. Those three players combined for 52 of KU's 62 points in the game. Grady Dick had a big game to lead the offense. He was 5 of 9 from 3 in that matchup. Kansas shot the ball pretty well, shot the ball pretty well overall, 45% from the floor, but they were just 12 of 20 from the free throw line in that game. And for Iowa State, they were carried by Gabe Kalsher. Didn't really get much beyond him. Uh, Caleb Grill had a bit of an off game, which Caleb Grill, by the way, has been outstanding in conference play when he's been healthy. He's been dealing with an injury. He didn't play when K- Iowa State played Missouri in the game they got blown out. And he's coming off of maybe his best game of the season. He went 8 of 12 from triple in Iowa State's game against Tech. And he was a guy that was cold for Iowa State the first time these two teams played in Allen Fieldhouse. He was the one that the last shot that missed. And Iowa State, as I said, they've been on a, a bit of a slide of their own, right? And this, I think this is just going to be maybe the nature of Big 12 play where even some of these top teams are going to have a couple, two or three games where they just kind of struggle. And that's kind of where Iowa State's at right now. They get blown out by Missouri, a team that Kansas blew out. And then they absolutely collapse against Texas Tech. That was their most recent game. So they're they're going to be out looking for a bounce back of their own, which is a similar situation that Kansas has been in this season. So they probably understand the type of mentality that Iowa State might have coming into this game. And for Iowa State, a loss here against Kansas, and I don't want to say you're out of the Big 12 race, but at that point you'd be 6-4, and four, and you've already lost two games, gotten swept by Kansas. That's going to be tough to overcome to even try to earn a share of the Big 12 at that point. So for Iowa State, this is a very critical game for them. I mean, they, they pretty much have to split against Kansas and, and come up with a victory at home. Robert Jones for Iowa State also was a guy that struggled and missed a lot of short, easy shots in that first matchup for Iowa State, their big man. But for Kansas, I think really one of the storylines of this game, even going back to that first game against Iowa State, is, is going to be more of their bench play, which we discussed after the Kansas State game. Against Iowa State, your bench got you two points. Two from Zach Clements. Now, you're coming off of probably one of the best bench games, certainly in conference play, that you've had if you're Kansas against Kansas State. And you have the Ernest Uday factor. The Ernest factor, as I like to call it. Did not appear against Iowa State. Zuby Edgefer played seven minutes against Iowa State when they met at Allen Fieldhouse. So how much of a factor does Ernest Uday have in this game? And what will his role look like? I think that could be a key. I mean, and not just beyond Ernest, but the rest of the bench as well. And another thing that happened in that first game against Iowa State was that Dewan Harris scored zero points. And Dewan's coming off of a big game against Kansas State. So can he get something going? He scored zero points in 39 minutes. That's not going to get it done. And I've talked about this before. With, with Dewan Harris, you're not asking for 14-15 a night. But if you're going to play 39 minutes, you need to be contributing in some capacity on the offensive end. Either six points, eight points. You know, that that's probably enough for a guy like DeWan. When you know that occasionally he can give you 12, 14, 16, 18, which is what he did against Kansas State. So you want to see more from DeWan as well. But certainly the guy to keep an eye on in this game, really the two guys to keep an eye on this game for Iowa State – Gabe Kalsher, he's not even their leading scorer for the season. It's Jaron Holmes who leads them in scoring a little bit. But Gabe Kalsher has been red hot in conference play, averaging over 18 points per game. He had 23 in the first matchup at Allen Fieldhouse. And in that game, he was 4 of 8 from 3. 
in conference play, he's shooting 41% from three. He's the guy that you want to keep an eye on. And Bill Self had some pretty high praise for him in his uh, pre-press conference we'll get to later in the show, talking about what he brings and what he can do for, for Iowa State, and now he might be one of the best players in the conference. And if you look at specifically conference play, that's, that's kind of hard to argue with. I mean, he's been, he's been really, really good, really good. And he, he was the one that kind of kept Iowa State in the game and out. And then Caleb Grill's the other guy to keep an eye on. I know he struggled against KU in Lawrence, but if you, if you take away that game against KU, he has been equally as good, if not on the same level, as Gabe Kalsher. But he's been dealing with some injuries. As I said, he missed the Missouri game, but came back and played very well against Texas Tech. And he is shooting 46% from three in conference play. And so for Kansas, I think that's a little concerning. You've got two guys that are pretty dead-eye shooters in conference at home. You don't want to let one of those, you don't want to let one or both of those guys get hot against you if you're if you're Kansas. And Iowa State, when they first played Kansas, was one of the best teams in the country at forcing turnovers. Kansas only turned it over 12 times against Iowa State. That was pretty good. And since then, Iowa State has fallen off a little bit in terms of forcing turnovers. They are still in the top 15 in terms of forcing turnovers, so still a very strong team at getting turnovers, but maybe not as elite as they were when they played Kansas the first time. And for Kansas, the turnovers were a bigger issue earlier in the season. They've they've kind of popped up here and there, but for the most part, haven't become a large concern except for in their losses. When you look at like the TCU game, for example, they struggled there. So certainly that'll be another area to keep an eye on. Yeah, Iowa State is they're still number one in turnovers in the country in turnover percentage. Almost twenty seven percent they force turnovers. And they have a very high steal rate as well, obviously, to go along with that. But for Iowa State, they're they're not a particularly great offensive team. And their defense has been not as good as it was earlier in the season. I mean, when you go back through the season and up until the first time they played Kansas, the most amount of points they'd given up in a game was 67. That was against TCU in conference. And in terms of their entire schedule, they had given up 79 to Villanova in overtime back in November. Other than that, 67 was the highest they'd given up. I mean, listen to some of these point totals they had given up earlier in the season. 43, 53, 65, 53, 60, 56, 57, 62, 60, 67, 50, 62, 67. I mean, that's a really good defense. But then you look at what they've done more recently. Against Kansas State, they give up 76. That game went to overtime, I believe. Against Missouri, they give up 78 in a loss. And against Texas Tech, they give up 80 in an overtime loss. Now, that K-State game didn't go to overtime, I don't think. No, it didn't. So they give up or they give up 76 to Kansas State. They won 8 to 76. So they give up 76 to Kansas State. So in the last, if you just look at the last three games, 76 to Kansas State, 78 to Missouri, and 80. 80 to Texas Tech, and they've lost two of those three games. So their defense, if you look at it from the small sample size, looking a little, maybe looking a little shaky. And I don't, their offense and conference play has been a lot better. Overall for the season, their offense is not that impressive when you look at the numbers. In conference play, they have been better. They're also the number one offensive rebounding team in conference play, and that that was another factor in that first game. Uh, Iowa State had 13 offensive rebounds in the first game. 
Now, I think if you're Kansas, you have to feel pretty good about that number being lower in this matchup with the potential for Ernest Duday to play a decent amount with K.J. Adams kind of looking like he may be out of his slump a little bit, playing a little bit better. Obviously, no Zuby does hurt you, though, in terms of trying to, to rebound and whatnot. But then again, you've got Kevin who, depending on who you ask, is maybe one of the best, if not the best, rebounding guard in the country, potentially. And that would need to continue. And we've, we've talked with some of the guests this week about some of the injuries that have popped up for Kansas. Bobby had a hamstring. MJ Rice was unable to go in their last game because of a, a continued back spasms, which has just been kind of a, a theme of his season, which has been, I'm sure, really frustrating internally, but frustrating maybe externally as well for a guy that you, you can sense he's got that dynamic scoring ability in him. But he's just been unable to really let that translate into real game time. And I don't know that this is a game, if you're Kansas, that you want to feel like you need to lean too heavily on Jalen or Grady or KJ. So you'd like to see Kevin get a little bit more involved. Like I said, Dewan had had zero points in 39 minutes in the first meeting, so hopefully he can get a little bit more involved. And then the bench. I think this game maybe should give you a better read on what the bench situation is, particularly with the bigs. Particularly with the bigs. Because, listen, the bench had their be- maybe its best game, certainly in conference play, maybe one of its best games of the season when you when you look at the circumstances against Kansas State. That was one game. What are you going to do to build on that? Now, Ernest specifically, individually, has put together now two really strong games. Look pretty good against Kentucky, pretty good against Kansas State. Keep it going. Keep building on it. But again, you still have sort of this issue with your bench guards. I know Bobby had a pretty solid game against Kansas State, but you're still not getting very much production from Joe. And Bobby is pretty inconsistent. MJ at this point is just, I just don't think he's a guy you can rely on game in and game out. Just because of injuries. Because of the, you know, the back issue, which Bill Self got into as well. He discussed that a little bit further in his in his pregame audio, we'll get to here later in the show. So, that's still an issue. Is it possible you see Zach Clements at the same time with KJ? Maybe. I don't know. But, yeah. I, I want to see more from the bench. I think I think the general theme is you're extremely encouraged by what the bench did against Kansas State. But that's one game. You, there's got to be more. you gotta, you got to continue to build on that. And again, you look at it from two 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 perspectives, from the interior. So looking at Ernest and Zach, Zuby sounds like he's still going to be out for a couple more weeks. Cam Martin sounds like he's going to continue to be out for a little bit longer. Bill Self talked about that as well. And then you look at the guard perspective, with Joe and Bobby, and maybe MJ. Need to build on it. But the reality situation is for this game is a win for Kansas and you sweep Iowa State, you get a critical road victory at a place where already a couple of the other top teams have lost. Texas and Iowa State have both already gone to Ames and lost. So you're looking at a place you're looking at a situation where you could get the sweep and you could rent win in an environment where some of your other top competition has already played in and not won. And to me, that that would be huge. 
And like I mentioned, I think a win here also would would really, really put Iowa State back quite a bit. I mean, I think for Iowa State, this is kind of a make-or-break game for them. You don't win here if you're Iowa State, and you might be more of a pretender than a contender for the Big 12 title. But you win here and right back in it. And for Kansas, again, I, I don't know how much the 11 a.m. tip is going to positively or negatively impact either of the teams, but you got to show up in this game. And then if you take care of business here, then you turn your attention to, to Monday night against Texas, which at this point is looking like it's going to be the biggest game of the season for Kansas potentially in conference play, more than likely. So Iowa State, kind of in the same spot that Kansas was in two, three games ago. They're on a slide. They're, what their strength has been this season has suddenly not really been their strength over the last two or three games. How do they respond? They're coming home. They're coming home to play a, a team that, generally speaking, you always turn up for in Kansas. How do they respond? And for Kansas, you, I think you know what you're getting from Jalen Wilson. 15 to 20, easily. Grady has been a bit more inconsistent in conference play. You hope KJ can keep things going. And if not, maybe you can get another double-double from Kevin McCuller. You can get some from, from Dewan. But I think you have to feel pretty good. I think you have to feel pretty good if you're, if you're Kansas because of what they've done over the last two games and because of the fact that Iowa State has struggled. But again, you can look at Iowa State's struggles as one of two ways. You can look at it as, oh, you can maybe beat them while they're down, beat them while they're struggling. Or on the flip side, this might be a situation where it might make you more nervous because Iowa State may come in looking to do a 180, really, from what they've done in the last couple games. More motivated to do that at home, to defend their home environment. But I think for Kansas to win this game, just got to take care of the ball. Iowa State is still one of the top teams at forcing turnovers. You got to make Iowa State go one and done as much as possible. Limit the number of offensive rebounds. Again, 13 for Iowa State in the first meeting. That's way too high. Even though even though you got the win, that, that's that's a concerning number. Limit, limit the number of offensive rebounds for Iowa State. Take care of the ball. And make sure you've got a guy on Gabe Kalsher. Make sure you've got a guy on Caleb Grill on the perimeter. You you don't want to you don't want to see one of those guys get hot from three. Kansas and Iowa State tomorrow morning, eleven a.m. Pre-game right here. We'll start at nine thirty with the Crimson and Blue show on KLWN, and it will lead right into tip-off at eleven a.m. here right here on KLWN. We'll take a short break right now. When we come back. Derek and I, I'm going to do Rock Chuck Pick a Hawk. Derek is obviously not here, but uh, I we drafted beforehand, and I have made sure that uh, nothing is going to change. I have the I have the list here. It was every, the integrity has not been disrupted of Rock Chuck Pick a Hawk. So I'll, when we come back, I'll just go through our picks uh, before the game against Iowa State tomorrow. We'll take a timeout. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN.
Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson on vacation today. He'll be out today and also on Monday before he comes back on Tuesday. So for today, Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. All right, so Rock Chalk Pickahawk. Before we get to that, though, some rivalries stand the test of time. The University of Kansas Jayhawks will battle the Missouri Tigers on the ice in hockey at Cable Dahmer Arena. Cable Donner is a great venue to feel close to the action. Come out on February 16th for Rivalry at the Rink. Tickets are on sale now. Check out the group ticket pricing featuring 15% off normal ticket prices for groups of eight or more. Get your tickets or learn about birthday party packages for Rivalry at the Rink between Kansas and Missouri on February 16th at CableDahmerArena.com. And coming up, uh, so that's February 16th. Coming up next week, I think we're going to have some tickets giveaways uh, as well. So keep an eye on social media. Let's keep an eye on the show as well. We're going to be giving away some tickets, I believe, for that matchup between Kansas and Missouri. And that game, Kansas and Missouri at the rivalry at the rink, is going to be broadcasted right here on KLWN as well on February 16th. So pretty exciting stuff. Okay, Rock Chuck Pickahawk. Reminder for how this works. You get a point for every point your player scores, two points for assists and rebounds, three points for steals and blocks, minus one point for every shot missed, minus two points for turnovers, and we added minus one point for every foul your player commits, and an additional minus three points if your player fouls out. And in Big 12 play, we are selecting uh, one player from the opposing team as well. So we were doing we were down to just four players. We've expanded it back out now. So it's uh, six rounds. Each of us has six players. So I will just uh, quickly, Derek and I made these made this draft actually yesterday, but I, I promise the integrity of it has not been broken in any way. I've made sure of that. Uh, right now, Derek is on a bit of a winning streak, 12-7 to 7 over me. So I could easily manipulate this to where I win. I think Derek would find out, though. So, But listen, I'm a man of honor. I'll keep it as it is. We did this draft yesterday afternoon, and with the first pick, I took Jalen Wilson. Derek followed it up with Grady Dick and Kevin McCuller. I took K.J. Adams. I think K.J. Adams is, is poised to have a good game. And then I went with Dewan Harris. Derek selected Gabe Kalsher. I selected Caleb Grill. Caleb Grill went to Mays High, which is where I'm from, so shout out Mays High. Derek selected Ernest Uday. I went with Zach Clements. Derek got uh, Bobby, or I went with Zach Clements and then M.J. Rice is my last pick. And Derek went with Bobby Pettiford and Joe Yesfu. So I have Jalen Wilson, K.J. Adams, Dewan Harris, Caleb Grill, Zach Clements, and MJ Rice. And Derek has Grady Dick, Kevin McCuller, Gabe Kausher, Ernest Uday, Bobby Pettiford, and Joe Yesifu. And I really need to win this one. I mean, I've been on a a pretty bad, a pretty bad losing streak. So I need to find a way to bounce back. I gotta find a way to bounce back. And listen, I took MJ Rice at the end there. I, I mean, listen, worst case scenario is he doesn't play and gives me zero points, which is which is fine. I mean, I didn't really have many other options at that point. I mean, I could have gone with... I don't even know who I could have gone with. MJ Rice. I could have guessed technically gone with like Michael Jankovic, but I mean, he's not going to play, probably. If he is playing, that could either be a really good thing or maybe a really bad thing. So I just went with MJ. I feel pretty good with Zach. I think Zach Clements is, is carved out a situation where he's going to play a little bit. The fact that Derek got Ernest concerns me a little bit because I think Ernest could also have a good game, but 
I'm happy with Jalen Wilson. I'm happy with KJ Adams. Dewan usually is a pretty good baseline player. Between Caleb Grill and Gabe Kalsher, I figure one of those guys is probably going to have a good game for Iowa State. I, I don't think Kansas is going to be able to shut down both in the same game. I think one of them is probably going to have to score a decent amount. Now, but the question just becomes at that point, is it one of those guys, are they scoring efficiently? You know, are they are they four is one of them four of six from three and like seven of ten from the floor total? Or is it a situation where they're more like where it's more like they're like five for eighteen from the floor and maybe like two of seven or two of eight from three? Something like that. Because that, that you know, that, that's a big difference, right? I mean, I go back to the K State game. That's kind of how Marquise Noel was. He ended up scoring a lot of points, but he wasn't very efficient. And he took a lot of shots that that missed. And that didn't really end up panning out well for K-State. They ended up losing the game, obviously. But, you know, I figured one of those guys is, gonna, is probably going to perform well. So I have Caleb Grill. Derek has Gabe Kalsher. And then Derek did get both Bobby Pettiford and Joe Yesifu. So he's he's pretty much got the guard situation locked up. But... Are either one of those guys going to score a lot in Pickahawk? Probably not. So I feel pretty good. So really, I think it just comes down to how much, how many points does Ernest get versus Zach, and then can the combination of Cage Adams and Dewan Harris equalize against one of Kevin McCullough and Grady Dick? Because you know Jalen Wilson's going to get a decent amount, and then which one of Caleb Grill or Gabe Kalsher ends up being the the main scorer for Iowa State? If they both are big scores, I think. You have more. Then you have concerns about well, is KU going to win the game or not? I don't think. It, I don't think it becomes a guarantee at all. I mean, if you're Kansas, you have to try to eliminate at least one of those guys. At least, don't let don't let both of those guys burn you from three. Try to try to shut one down, at least. I don't think you're going to be able to totally stop both of them, but try to shut one down at least. But again, like I said, you know, Iowa State's been known for their defense and. In these three-game stretch where they've struggled, their defense has not been performing nearly as well. So maybe this is more of a high-scoring game. I don't know if there has been any line put out for the game yet. Let's see. Ken Palm has it as a one-point game right now. And Ken Palm favors Iowa State, but I would guess that's just because it's... It's at home. It's at Iowa State. That would be my assumption. All right. John Kirby from Rivals.com. Jayhawks Slant is going to join us in just a few minutes here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk to recap the recruiting season for Kansas and talk a little bit about the uh, on the football side of things. What's up with the recruiting class now that recruiting is pretty much done for now? And spring ball starts up pretty soon. And Lance Leipold on the Jayhawker podcast talked about they're going to have the spring game. It's going to be kind of a mixture. Spring games now are not necessarily a traditional game as much as they are like kind of an open practice. And then normally there is like a scrimmage part of it, right? But it's not like it. I think I feel like in the past it was traditionally more of like an actual spring game. Now it's more like a spring open practice plus like a little bit of a scrimmage towards the end. But I think Lance Leipold talked about that on the Jayhawker podcast. That's that's coming up in early April, mid-April, I think. I don't remember the specific date off, off the top of my head, but 
We'll talk with John Kirby next about uh, all things going on with KU football recruiting in this uh, offseason as they prepare to hopefully springboard from their 2022-2023 season into the fall of 2023-2024. We'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. John Kirby from Rivals.com. Jack Slant joins us next. This is RCST on 101.7 FM and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Nick Springer here. Derek Johnson out today on a Friday. And right now I am joined on the show by John Kirby. You can check out all of his work on Jayhawk Slant covering KU football recruiting. And uh, obviously it's been a big week for recruiting for KU football this past week. A lot happened. And I want to start with the most recent news, which was uh, a big commit for the class of 2024. Three-star quarterback Isaiah Marshall. What can you tell me about him? And, and what do you think this commit says about the trajectory of this KU football program? Well, Nick, what it does, well, first of all, a few things. Number one, I kind of call this a connection commitment, right? I mean, when you look at Isaiah Marshall, I mean, first of all, he's got got a lot of offers. He's got a lot of interest. Kid put up like 3,600 yards of total offense last year as a junior. He he can do it all. So he's a guy that... When you look at it, first of all, look at what Kansas is doing in the state of Michigan and primarily the Detroit area. They're really doing a nice job building a roster and a pipeline to there. And a lot of that is in part due to Chris Simpson, the Jayhawks linebacker coach, who's recruited there. He's got a lot of relationships. When I talked to Isaiah Marshall, he said Coach Simpson knows his family. So, you know, it's kind of a connection commitment. When he comes in, he came in twice on visits, one in November for the Texas game and then one for a junior day in December. So he comes in, and he sees these kids from Detroit, and they're, you know, they're, they're enjoying the program. They're, they're being taken care of. And when you're from an area and you hear that kids from your area are going to a school and they're having success and they like it, that's a huge selling point. So, like I said, I call it a connection commit because, listen, Isaiah Marshall could have held off, and he would have picked up more interest, and he could have had options. But he, he liked what he saw, what was being built. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that pipeline to Detroit. I mean, is it safe to say that that is, is pretty much built then, that, that, that uh, KU has that connection really going for the future potentially? Yeah, no, it's built in. It's built in, and I don't see it stopping. Because every time you sit here and think, okay, you know, they got a nice guy from Detroit, you know, Logan Brown, who's the highest-rated guy in the transfer portal. You know, he's, he's from, from the region. And you keep thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe it's going to dry up or maybe not. And every time you say that, they land one, they land another. So, I mean, this thing's here to stay. And as you keep bringing more guys in, then you keep getting more guys. Lance Leipold met with the media earlier this week and also had his Hawk Talk special earlier this week recapping the recruiting season. What were some of your takeaways from his discussion both with the media and then at his Hawk Talk? Yeah, you know, I thought I thought he was in great spirits at the uh, Wednesday, and I listened to the Hawk talk, and, you know, I think a lot of it comes down, well, I'll tell you something, and I don't mean to get off topic here, but he's probably in great spirits because he gets off the road, right? I mean, <laughs> these guys have no break, and at the Wednesday press conference, Nick, I actually asked him about, you know, just is this sustainable in their business, what they're doing? Because you've got this transfer portal now, so you, you play your full season, you get done, then the day after the season's over, the transfer portal opens up for all these guys to enter the transfer portal. So now you've got to manage who you're losing, then you've got to now start figuring out who you're going to go get, okay? 
and then you've got bowl practices. You're sending coaches out on the road. You come back, you play in a bowl game. You come back home. The coaches get maybe four or five days rest max, and then they put a new rule in that kids can start taking visits if you're a JUCO transfer or a portal transfer the very first weekend in January. So these guys have gone nonstop. I, I think Lance is happy with his class, but I think he's also happy maybe just to catch his breath a little bit here because spring football starts in three and a half weeks. Yeah, so looking at this year's class, what stands out to you just overall from, from a big picture-wise of this class? Well, I would say in the, on the high school side, I think they really did a nice job at wide receiver. And, you know, they got three early guys, at Jared Sample, a wide receiver out of Texas, Saras Buncombe, who's on campus now from California. I think he could be a really good one. Keaton Kubeka is a, is a taller target who, uh, you know, good body control, plays for one of the top programs in the country at Westlake. So they did a nice job there in wide receiver, I thought, in the high school class. And these kids committed early. They committed back in the summertime. They stuck with their commitments. They had opportunities and, and people calling them. So I, I thought the wide receiver was real good there. Um, on the transfer portal side, you know, a couple things that stand out to me that, of the guys they got. Rivals.com, we just rated the classes yesterday, and KU came in at 25th in the country. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of schools that tried to utilize the portal, and to come in at number 25 in the transfer portal rankings, I, I think that's uh, call it a successful transfer portal season, and I guess we'll see what April and May brings because we're going to start it all again. But they had to do there was a few things they had to do. Number one, they had to replace Earl Bostick at left tackle. And they did that with Logan Brown. He is our number five rated player overall in the entire transfer pool out of, out of 1500 players. He's number five. So, I mean, you know, they, they, they knew people at Wisconsin. They did their homework on him. Everything came back good. They targeted him early. He committed, he stayed committed. And trust me, you talk about a guy that could have gone, to a lot of different places. He's won, but he stuck with them. And then D-line. They had to come up with something on the D-line. I mean, you lose Malcolm Lee at one end. You lose Lonnie Phelps to the NFL. Three of your most productive guys on the inside were Sam Burt, Eddie Wilson, and Caleb Sampson. And they're gone. And, and they had to do something on the D-line. I mean, the guys they brought in, Devin Phillips, he started every game he played at Colorado State. He's a big, wide body who's got some athleticism, about 310 pounds. And then they've got Gage Keys, a defensive tackle from Minnesota, who Jim Panagos, KU's defensive tackles coach, recruited him to Minnesota. And, Nick, i got to tell you, that's a big deal because when you go get kids, look at the guys Leipold's bought, brought in from Buffalo, Okay. They knew who those kids are. They know what they're getting. They know what they're getting uh, in the classroom, off the field, attitude. Well, when you can be, you know, Jim Panagos, he goes out and gets Gage Keys, who he recruited to Minnesota when he was there, so he knows what he's getting. They got another defensive lineman, defensive end, Austin Booker. Um, a late guy they got, Patrick Joyner, who was originally at the University of Miami, then he went to Utah State. And, you know, I think they're hoping that Booker and Joyner can be a couple guys to play that rush in spot and, and take up where Lonnie Phelps left off. So I thought they did a real nice job filling in on some holes in the defensive line that they had to have for this spring football. And then I'll tell you, uh, an area that's probably not going to be talked about much is special teams. 
I mean, they went out and got Seth Keller. He's a kicker from Texas State. He's been kicking at the D1 level. He's making like 86% of his field goals. They needed help there. And then they just got Damon Greaves, the punter from Australia, who, who they worked with Pro Kick Australia, which is, that's the academy that is really turning out the big-time punters now. Um, interesting story. Aaron Miller, who's the special teams analyst for KU, he came from Rutgers. Okay? When he was at Rutgers, they worked with Pro Kick, and they got a punter from Pro Kick Australia. I can't remember his name right now, but he just won the Ray Guy Award. So that's kind of where people are looking for these punters, and, and I hear this kid's got a big-time leg and very talented. So th- th- those are kind of the areas that I think they did well in. At the high school level, KU also flipped a couple of local guys. How much do you think of an emphasis there was within the program to maybe focus on making sure they get some of the top local talent around the area as well? Well, you know, it's huge. I mean, they put a lot of time on local kids, and that's probably still the biggest topic that everybody brings up, right, is they, you know, the, the, the local, getting the higher-end local kids is still a battle, okay? And, and I look at the... The, the two kids they got, Calvin Clemens from there at Free State and Jaden Ham out of Eudora, and they weren't traditional recruits because these guys were committed elsewhere, right? And, and I don't know, you know, I, I think it's almost more of KU style in how they got them rather than, like, how good of recruiters they were. Because Calvin Clements, you know, he flipped late, but he sat there and watched KU, you know, from – from his house, 15 minutes away from campus, he watched KU's program change last year. He watched him get to a bowl. But one thing Calvin told me when I talked to him was he never felt pressured by KU. During the whole year, I think there was a little communication here, a little communication there, and KU let him make his decision. They weren't always on him. And listen, Scott Fuchs could have pressured him because Calvin Clements goes to the same church as, as Fuchs does. He knows Fuchs' sons. They played together at Free State. I mean, but KU, they handled it very well. Jaden Hamm, that, again, that was a timing situation because the tight ends coach who recruited him from Arkansas left, took the offensive coordinator job at South Carolina, and he opened up his recruiting late, and KU was there with the spot. So I, I, don't, I think it's just kind of way they handled the recruiting in both of those situations. Okay, so looking forward to this upcoming season, you, you highlighted some of the transfers, but if you had to pick one or two guys from specifically the transfer portal that you think could make an immediate impact on the field for KU in the fall of twenty twenty three, who do you think uh, you should keep? Who do you think we should keep an eye on? Well, one would be Logan Brown. We talked about the left tackle who's coming from Wisconsin. I mean that that is one spot on the offensive line because when you look down the offensive line, Nick, I mean there's a lot of bodies coming back. There's a lot of guys with a lot of snaps except for left tackle. That, that is the black hole there. So, I mean, hopefully, you know, Logan Brown can get in and learn what they need in the spring and get used to the system. And, and, and I'll tell you another guy, and it's ironic that he's actually the only two-star in the rankings of the position players. It's Spencer Lavelle, who's transferring in from Cal. I mean, this guy's 6'5", 330 pounds. He started off at Arizona State. He played in like 20 games at Arizona State. He left. He went to Cal last year. He won the starting job. He got injured in week three against Notre Dame and had to miss the rest of the year with an injury. But he won the starting job at Cal. So I know KU returns two starting guards 
But this guy's played a lot of football. I mean, he showed that he can go into a program at the Power 5 level, compete, and win a job. So he's a guy that I would definitely keep an eye on. Okay, what about the incoming freshmen? You've got an interesting freshman class. Are, are there any guys in that freshman class that you think have a chance to maybe make an impact on the field in 2023? Oh, boy. I'll, I'll tell you. Um, you. You know, when I look down it, is it more of a developmental class, you think? Yeah, well, no, no, no. I think I think this is one of the best high school classes they've had in a while. The, the thing is, is when you come to the rating system, I think we had them in the 70s, that's because they only signed 13 high school guys, where everybody else sometimes are signing 20, 21, 22. And the rival system only gives you, gives you credit for your first 20, so it looks at KU's class as they're missing six guys, but they, they did that on purpose because they used some of their scholarships for the portal. It, it's a solid high school class. I'm going to tell you the guy, if I had to pick somebody, that I'm very interested to see how he works out, and that's Logan Brantley. We've got him listed as a safety because that's what he played some of his career in high school. He's out of Colorado. Uh, you know, I know Colorado and Dion made a push at him. He is a guy that has the ability, because KU needs some help at linebacker. I mean, they really do. He's, he's a guy that if he can fit into that linebacker mold, I don't know how much weight he's going to need to put on, because I think he's around 205-ish right now, but he can play. I mean, he can run, he played safety, he can play, uh, you know, he could cover a slot guy. And I thought it was interesting when Lance Leipold talked about him last December, he said he's the kind of guy that can be a team captain. So there's one guy that that I'm real interested to see what can happen when he reports in June. Okay, so overall, considering the needs that Kansas had on their roster after the 2022-23 season, what grade would you give this recruiting class coming into the fall of 23? Well, if you combine them and you look at what they did on the high school level, what they did on the portal level, I mean, we've got them ranked 25th in the country right now in portal class. The high school class it's hard to really look at their value because they only signed 14 or 13. Um, overall, I would give the class a solid B grade. Okay. And, and I'm, when I say that I'm talking about how I would compare it nationwide to other classes. If you look at what they needed to do and what they needed to fill and their needs, I'd probably say it's somewhere B plus, I would say it was a successful run. That's I'll leave it at that. All right, he is John Kirby. You can check out more of his work with recruiting and KU football on Rivals.com, Jayhawk Slant. John, thanks so much for taking some time to join the show today. Hey, Nick, anytime. Thank you. Yep, thank you. That was John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant and Rivals.com joining us to talk about some KU football recruiting. And, of course, as he said in the end of the interview, Spring ball is coming up just around the corner, and uh, the spring game, I think, was just announced it's going to be in, in, in early April. So very exciting time for K-Football, and certainly more to get excited about with this upcoming recruiting class as well. All right, one hour down and one and a half to go almost uh, here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Reminder, we are out early at 5.30 today for high school basketball coming your way on the airwaves tonight, girls and boys basketball. It'll be Free State tonight, Adelaide West. Lawrence High played Adelaide West on Tuesday. Free State now, Adelaide West tonight with Sam Speck and Craig Hershiser on the call. That'll start around 5.30, so the show out a little bit early, around 5.30-ish, to pick up high school basketball for the rest of your evening. And one hour down, one and a half to go. 
Sports Talk Market coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320. KLWN. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. He'll be out on Monday as well. On Monday, we're going to have a bit of a hybrid show. Uh, I have some different uh, segments for you. Recapping KU Iowa State, previewing KU Texas. We'll hear from Bill Self and probably the players post-game of Iowa State as well. And uh, also, we'll sprinkle in a little bit of uh, some coverage of the Chiefs probably with uh, the Fox Sports ahead of the KU Texas game on Monday night. And Sam Speck is going to join uh, the show a little bit as well. Friend of the show, Sam Speck from uh, Florida Mad Libs. He'll He'll be hopping on a little bit on Monday as well. So kind of just got a little bit of everything on on Monday. A reminder for today's show, we're out a little bit early at 5.30 for coverage of high school basketball. It'll be Free State, the girls and boys, taking on Olathe West at Olathe West. And Sam Speck and Craig Hershiser on the call of that. So that's coming your way just before 5.30. Tip off for the girls schedule for 5.30 and then the boys game uh, closely to follow that as well. But it is a Friday, and you know what that means? time for our sports stock market. That's right. The bell is ringing, and we'll get into our sports stock market on this Friday edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. All right, stocks. Stocks are up on rewarding bad behavior. That's right. For Chiefs fans, this one might sit a little close to home. Carl Cheffers gets the Super Bowl. It was announced, uh, I think, last week or a week before. So Carl Cheffers is going to be on the Super Bowl, and of course, he's a bit of a rivalry with the Chiefs. This dates back many years, actually, to Travis Kelsey saying that Carl Cheffers couldn't work at Foot Locker. Then you had the whole incident with this season. Uh, was that the Texans game? No, not the Texans game. What? The Raiders. It was the Raiders game. Chiefs-Raiders. I don't know why I thought Texans. Chiefs-Raiders, where Carl Cheffers uh, literally got booed into uh, throwing penalties, and his voice cracked, and he was evidently nervous or upset by the Chiefs fans at Arrowhead. So, Cheffers gets the Super Bowl, and I just hope that the Monday after the Super Bowl, the top headline from the game is not that Carl Cheffers tried to screw the Chiefs somehow or whatever. I I hope that's not what we have to talk about after the Super Bowl. So, I'm rooting for Carl Cheffers. I hope Carl Cheffers does a good job. I hope there's absolutely no qualms with the officiating, but of course that's probably not going to be true because in every big game there's at least one penalty or something that people want to point to and say oh, that that changed the game and then we got to talk about it. I don't want to do that. I'm sure I'm going to have to, but I don't want to. And also, Nathaniel Hackett hired by the Jets. It turns out, going 4-12 or 4 and whatever it was the record was when he got fired, that gets you a new job. Offensive coordinator for the Jets, Nathaniel Hackett. Now, what really irks me about this is it's almost like the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes where it's like Nathaniel Hackett, wherever he goes, because of what he did with Aaron Rodgers, people think, oh, if we get Nathaniel Hackett, we have a chance for Aaron Rodgers. I just want Aaron Rodgers to retire. I just want Aaron Rodgers to retire. I don't care. Aaron Rodgers, bye. Tom Brady is already retired, we think. I hope. Aaron Rodgers, go away. Just go away, please. But Nathaniel Hackett gets hired after having a disastrous season. I don't. There's no other way you could possibly describe what the Broncos had this season than a complete and abject disaster. I mean, I, there's no other way you could describe it. It was absolutely terrible. And out of that terrible, terrible disaster, Nathaniel Hackett gets hired by the Jets. 
there you go. Just be really, really bad at your job, and you'll get a new job for free, basically. All right, stocks are up on delivery guys. Last week, or this might have been even uh, over the last couple weeks, maybe a weekend ago. Yeah, this was back on January 25th, so last weekend. Loyola Chicago and Duquesne, start of the second half. They're playing a game. When suddenly a man appears on the court, a random guy, and he, he appears to be attempting to deliver like a DoorDash or Uber Eats to somebody at the game. And he just walked onto the court. Now, I believe later, I followed up on the story, I believe later this was actually just a prank. So it wasn't actually, part of part of the draw or the allure of the story was that it was originally thought, oh, this was just a guy who was extremely dedicated to delivering his McDonald's to whoever ordered it, an official, somebody in the, somebody at the game. But it, I think it, I think it was later determined that this was actually just a prank, and it was some, some, somebody who was doing it for, for, uh, for TikTok fame or whatever. So that's kind of a bummer. But still, I'll give a shout out to delivery guys, the dedication of DoorDash, Uber Eats drivers, whatever. There's dedicated people out there. All right, stocks plummet. Not only are stocks down, stocks are. Almost zero. They're bottoming out. They're basically R0. Stocks hit zero on Pro Bowl selection process. Derek Carr. When I say Derek Carr, do you think Pro Bowler? You better. Because he's going. He's on his way. But, okay, I love the soundbite from Derek Carr. This was, I think, last night, actually, or maybe the night before. Derek Carr gives the soundbite about, uh, some, it was Ryan Clark, I think, asked him about, uh, you know, what, his time in Las Vegas or whatever, and you know, is, is that the, is, or was this like, uh, the, the phrasing of the question was like, is this the best you've ever, or the luckiest you've ever gotten in Las Vegas or whatever? And Derek Carr responds and says, obviously not because I'm not going to be there anymore. And I like that. I like that Derek Carr's leaning into it. Listen, I'm sure a lot of Chiefs fans don't like Derek Carr because he played for the Raiders. That's fine. But imagine if Derek Carr goes to like, I don't know, the Bucks or even the Jets, honestly, whatever, one of those places. I, I'm, I'll root for him. I'll root for the guy. If he goes and has success, because that's an even better story, really. I mean, imagine that Derek Carr gets run out of town by Las Vegas. And he goes to, like, the Jets or the Bucks, And he leads them to the playoffs. Maybe they win a game or two, whatever, in the playoffs. And the Raiders continue to suck under Josh McDaniels. Is there a better storyline than that? Is there a better storyline than that happening? Where they think Derek Carr's not their guy. Get out of here, Derek Carr. Nobody likes you. Derek Carr goes to the, to the Broncos, the Jets. Panthers insert you know team here and takes them to the playoffs and the Raiders go 5 and 12 next year. I mean that would be awesome. That'd be hilarious. But still Derek Carr did not deserve a pro bowl this season. But wait, it gets worse. Tyler Huntley has been named to the pro bowl as a as a replacement for Josh Allen. That's right. Josh Allen gets hurt and they're like, "Hmm, who is the next best quarterback we can get for the pro bowl?" Tyler Huntley. Bang. Two touchdown passes for the season. Tyler Huntley. He's a pro bowler. You know what? You know who this is actually really good for? It's really, really good for Tyler Huntley in the sense of if he had any sort of extra incentives in his contract or whatever about making the Pro Bowl or whatever, suddenly the suddenly he's makes a lot of money off that potentially. For for having a two touchdown pass season. He's in the Pro Bowl. So stocks hit zero. On Pro Bowl selection, on the Pro Bowl selection process. So I hope you weren't invested in that. 
All right, stocks are up on finding Roger Goodell's burner account. This is from last week during the during the Chiefs Bengals game. Ava underscore Marconi on Twitter at a underscore M A R C O N I underscore Ava underscore Marconi tweeted quote. At NFL, crowd noise needs to be once again a penalty. It's cheating and 100% interference. It's simple technology to measure the decibels. Fans should be able to attend and not get hearing loss, and integrity needs to return to the game. I'm tired of the cheating. Raj. Raj, is that you? Is that you, Raj? Was, was Airhead too loud for you, Raj? Okay. Let's break down this tweet truly, though, because it, it kind of takes a weird turn in the middle. So first off, she, first off, this this account, who may or may not be Roger Goodell, can't confirm or deny, says crowd noise needs to be a penalty. It's cheating and 100% interference. And then it takes kind of a weird turn into it's simple technology and the vegetables. Fans should be able to attend a game and not get hearing loss. So there's like this weird turn in the middle where it's like the crowd noise is cheating, but also... I should not have to have hearing loss from a game. And then it circles back to integrity needs to return to the game. I'm tired of, I'm tired of cheating. Which, first of all, I'm, I don't really understand where you get the idea that a loud crowd somehow negatively infects, uh, affects the integrity of the game. I'm a bit confused on that. There's, a, I, I, there's mixed signals coming from this tweet. But to me, is this Roger Goodell? Furthermore... How many burner accounts do you think Roger Goodell has? I mean, he's 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 got to have a couple, at least a couple, right? I mean, in this day and age, what famous person doesn't have at least one burner account, if not multiple? I'm just saying. But we may have just located, we may have just pinpointed one of Roger Goodell's burners. And finally, stocks are up on awesome uniforms. Earlier today, the Royals announced they're bringing back the all-powder blue uniforms for 2023. Great. Fantastic. Absolutely love it. Obviously, many iconic moments in the in the powder blue uniforms. Pretty, pretty awesome stuff. They had a little video out that showed some of it. It was really cool. And when it comes to uniforms, and this this I think this probably this, this doesn't really impact professional sports as much because professional sports are much more traditionalist in their uniforms. They don't really, I mean, you look at the NFL, like this was the first year that the NFL even allowed teams to, to use alternate colored helmets, I believe. So it doesn't really affect professional sports as much, but amateur sports, college sports, whatnot, you see a tons of different uniform combinations. And I do think there's a fine line between having a really, really cool, different, unique uniform and keeping it classic or keeping it traditionalist or keeping it keeping it simple. Like for instance, for the Chiefs, keep it simple. Keep it simple, man. Just give me give me red and white with the red helmets with the white Chiefs logo. I'm sold every time. Boom. You can't mess it up. But like with KU, the Warhawk is very cool. The KU wore some powder blue jerseys actually this season for a game. Very cool. I'm down for that. But there is a line. I do think there is a line that you can potentially cross. I'm trying to think. There was a couple years ago where KU wore, they, they, I'm trying to remember what the uniforms looked like. They were like, they were supposed to honor like the limestone, I think, of the rock chalk, but it, it wasn't really very well executed, I don't think. Like that's an example maybe. 
But the but for the Royals, great move. A plus in my opinion. Above the all powder boys. Does that mean the Royals will actually be good this season? Makes you think. All right, that's it for the sports stock market for this Friday edition of the show. Here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, Derek Johnson is out today. I'm Nick Springer with you for the rest of the show. We're going to be out early today, around 5.30-ish, for coverage of high school basketball. We're going to take a timeout right now. When we come back, we have a little bit of discussion about the, the Big 12 situation. I want to I wanted to take a deep dive on this next upcoming stretch of games for a lot of these top teams in the conference. I'll talk about that more next. And also, Bill Self uh, met with the media yesterday to talk pre-Iowa State. Have that audio for you coming up later on in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll take a timeout. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on... Welcome back into Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Nick Chuck Sports Talk edition here on KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. He'll be out on Monday as well. And we've got uh, kind of a hodgepodge of a show for you on Monday coming up including a recap of KU and Iowa State, which is going to happen tomorrow here on KWN, and also a preview of KU Texas on Big Monday. Monday night. Two huge games coming up for KU. And that kind of leads into what I wanted to discuss here with uh, a breakdown of the Big 12 basketball real quick. Looking specifically at what we, at this point, deem to be the top six teams in the conference or the top six teams that really have a chance to claim the Big 12. That's KU, Baylor, Texas, TCU, Iowa State, and Kansas State. Those are the six teams that that uh, we we think at this point, halfway through conference play, have a chance to potentially claim the Big 12 title. But I want to go through something here real quick because I think over the next two weeks, the two the next week and a half, two ish weeks, ten to fourteen days, we are really going to find out and see a bit of separation between who are the true Big 12 title contenders and who maybe just got off to a strong start but maybe might fade a little bit. So as I said, you got KU, Baylor, Texas, TCU, Iowa State, Kansas State, all we think in contention. Between those six teams, I think over these next 10 to 14 days or so, we are going to see a pretty clear separation between the top two to three and who are firmly in maybe that second tier, who are still really good teams but not quite in contention for Big Twelve for the Big 12 title. And here's why. I'm going to break this down per the rankings. Start with Texas. Texas is in first place in the Big 12 right now at 7-2. and two. Well, for Texas, here are their next two games upcoming on their schedule. At Kansas State, or excuse me, at Kansas, and at Kansas State consecutively, both on the road. If Texas goes 0-2 there, are we suddenly talking about them maybe as, as not not the top dog? They certainly wouldn't be the top dog in the standings at that point. But really, what I, what I, what I really want to highlight here is, is that KU has already had one really difficult stretch. They played at K-State. They played TCU. They played at Baylor. They have a second three-game stretch that they're in the middle of right now that's really tough. Kansas State at home, at Iowa State, Texas at home. Some of these other top teams, starting with Texas, have not had really two or three games in a row where they have played other top teams in the Big 12. They, so they have played other top teams, but they've had an Oklahoma State at home, a West Virginia, 
a Texas Tech sprinkle in there as well. So the point I want to make here is for these other top teams, including Kansas, a lot of them are playing each other over these next two or three games in conference play. So as I said, Texas, their next two games are KU and K-State, both on the road. Now, Texas also has three games to end conference play. That is brutal. Their last three games of the season in conference play, at Baylor, TCU at home, and Kansas at home. So even if even if Texas has a game or two on Kansas down the stretch, I'm looking at these last three games. I mean, man, at Baylor, TCU, and Kansas at home, that's those are not three guaranteed wins. So Texas, with KU and KSU on the road, we're going to learn a lot about them. And again, Texas isn't in a unique spot where they haven't even played Kansas once yet this season. Next, you got Kansas. They just took care of business against Kansas State at home. Their next two games, as we talked about, at Iowa State tomorrow and Texas at home on Monday. If Kansas goes 2-0 in these next two games, Iowa State and Texas, they're probably in first place in the Big 12 come Tuesday morning. And then they're in the driver's seat. And I can assure you that I don't think any of these other top teams want Kansas in the driver's seat in the Big 12 with, at that point, what, six six games left? in co- Or seven games left in conference? So KU, like I said, KU's in a unique spot in that they've already had one tough stretch. They already had a stretch where they had to play three consecutive top, top 15 teams. And now they're doing it again. And they already beat one of them. Kansas State at home. Now they've got Texas and Iowa State. Kansas State, their next two games. They get Texas and TCU at home. Even if they go one and one there, if they don't hold serve at home, are you questioning Kansas State at that point? They're six and three, so they really need to win these next two at home, right? But if but if they do that and Kansas beats Texas at home as well, Texas is suddenly Dropped to seven and four at that point. Then you go to TCU. TCU's next four games. They're at Oklahoma State. But then listen to this next three. After Oklahoma State, they go at Kansas State, Baylor at home, and at Iowa State. Hey. That doesn't instill a lot of confidence in you if you're TCU. Mike Miles. Hyperextended knee, don't really know his status. Eddie Lampkin, don't really know his status. TCU could quickly fade if they go even 2-2 two and two in that stretch. That might not be good enough to keep them in the top in the conversation. Now, Iowa State has Kansas at home tomorrow, and then they have a couple of easy ones, uh, West Virginia and Oklahoma State, so not as bad as the other top teams for the in, in terms of like these next week and a half, two weeks. However, listen to this stretch that Iowa State has from February 15th to February 21st. So in a six-day stretch, Iowa State will play TCU at home and then go at Kansas State and at Texas back-to-back. And Baylor Baylor's in the best situation here. Baylor's in a situation where they can make up some serious ground over the next two weeks because Baylor has Oklahoma and Texas Tech both at home and as their next two games. So they... They are not in a situation like these other top four or five teams where they are going to be playing another team who is in the top four or five, if that makes sense. They've got OU in Texas. So for Baylor, their day of reckoning 
in terms of are they legit or not in conference is going to come a little later. But listen to this stretch that Baylor has from February 18th to February 25th at Kansas and at Kansas State back-to-back, and then Texas at home. So all of this, all of that that I just outlined is to say this. Four of the top six teams in the Big 12 have, to me, a second half of the season defining stretch in conference play coming up in their next two to three games. Texas at KU and Kansas State, both on the road. Kansas, they already played K-State at home, but they've got at Iowa State, Texas at home. Kansas State, Texas and TCU at home. TCU, they got Oklahoma State on the road, which is not going to be an easy one. Then at Kansas State, Baylor at home and at Iowa State. So, uh, again, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that these games where you play Oklahoma State, where you play Oklahoma, where you play West Virginia, I'm not saying those are easy games, but in the scope of the Big 12, those are obviously much more winnable than when you're playing against other of the top teams. I mean, again, I, I can't underscore this enough. Kansas has This is going to be Kansas' second consecutive stretch in the span of basically a little over a month where they're going to play three consecutive top 15 teams. In a row. And some of these other teams, particularly I'm looking at Texas, they have not had to do that. They have not had to play two or three top 10, top 15 teams consecutively. Right? It's one thing if you have to play Kansas and then Kansas State. But you get Oklahoma State sprinkle in between. Or you get Texas Tech sprinkle in between. It's a whole other thing when you have to play that that level of team consecutively. And Kansas has already done that. Now, in the first the first time they did it, they went they went zero three. They lost all three: Baylor, TCU, and Kansas State. They're already one and zero in this second three game stretch. Now they go at Iowa State and Texas at home. But again, I'm just curious how some of these other Big Twelve teams might respond to having to play multiple top 10, top 12, top 15 opponents in a row consecutively in in a short time, in a short span of time. So I think at this time, in two weeks, we might have a better idea of who really is title contenders and who is firmly entrenched in that 3, 4, 5, 6 section of the Big 12, but maybe not quite in a position where they can capitalize and, and really make a run for the title. All right. We're going to take a timeout here, a short timeout on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When we come back, Bill Self had a lot to say before the Iowa State game coming up tomorrow. Have his audio after he met with the media yesterday afternoon. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.